We're taking our Bibles. We're headed to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 4, as we continue in a series, but it was so appropriate that this morning what we're talking about is getting a grip on contentment, especially as we think about it with this being Thanksgiving holiday, the weekend that we're supposed to be thankful, and yet not everybody is. There are some people who really struggle, some people who find it a chore to smile, to be able to rejoice. It's interesting that psychologists talk about people who get frustrated, people who have worries, people who have all kinds of battles. Forty percent of what they struggle never really happens. There is as well, the statistic goes, that 30% of some of these people, 30% of what they really battle is what do other people think about me? And that frustrates them. That, that discourages them. 12% of what their worries about, what their, what their struggles are with, are things that were in the past. And if you notice this, none of these are things we can change. None of them are things we can control. So, and including our health, getting older. And only 8% of what people usually get worried about or get frustrated about are, are things that are here and now that they can handle. The Apostle Paul wasn't that type of a person. The Apostle Paul is one who, if you read his epistles and you get a sense of what he's talking about, he is one who is filled with joy. No better letter shows that than the book of Philippians. Philippians was written as part of a foursome letter. It was included with a packet of letters like Ephesians, Colossians, as well as Philemon, Philippians. They were all written by Paul while he was sitting in jail. At the end of the book of Acts, he's in prison. He's there for two years. It is during that time that he's writing these letters that are filled with the idea of blessing God and praising God and rejoicing and giving God the glory and saying rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Now, Paul's writing at a time when it was very difficult. He had no free at this moment. He was bound in this house, in this setting. He couldn't go out and do what you can do. He couldn't go where you can go. There he was. He was, he was in jail, in a prison, if you would. He was un- unsure about what the future holds. He writes about that in Philippians 1. He's not sure. And he says, you know, to die is better. It is to gain. But at the same time, it's more needful to be here. He's very dependent. Living in that situation where he's in jail, in imprisonment, he's not like today's prison. He doesn't have food provided for him. He doesn't have recreation and all kinds of opportunities. He's in a time period where the family, the friends, they had to provide the food or he would starve. And so in that imprisonment, he doesn't know where his day-to-day bread is coming from. He's unsure what's going to be happening, totally dependent upon others. And though he has been, after his third missionary journey started, multiple churches, been in communication, has friendships all over that region that we would call ancient Greece and Macedonia and all of those, the Asia Minor, he doesn't hear from anybody. He's like he's a forgotten entity. All of a sudden, he's dropped off the face of the world, and he's forgotten. And that's a struggle for him later on as he's enduring some of his imprisonment. At the same moment, he's burdened. He talks about it where he says that I'm burdened with the care of the churches. I hear about others that are struggling in the churches with their faith. I'm hearing about others who are getting discouraged, and I'm really burdened. I'm hearing about friends who are sick. And he's going through some real emotional struggles, if you would. And then on top of that, you have the false teachers coming into every one of these churches. And they are starting to teach false doctrines and persuading people to not listen to what Paul has taught. Don't listen to his letters that he's writing. And they're giving all kinds of corrupt doctrine. And Paul, on top of that, he is physically suffering. 
He talks about it in Corinthians. That he says, I prayed to the Lord three times, remove this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, I don't know. But he was physically tormented by this, this buffeting that came from Satan in this physical illness that he had or handicap that he had. And at the same time, he has some very close friends, one of whom, as we read in the book of Philippians, he says he almost died. He was the only one with me, and he got so sick he was nearly unto death. And Paul knows that as well. There's lots of accusations against him. That's why he's in jail. The Jews have falsely accused him. They're planning a court case. They want him dead. They want him executed. So he doesn't know about his future because his enemies are piling high all the legal accusations against them. They hate him. He tries to even call some to gather with him and discuss, but they reject. And then on top of that, some of the believers in the church, they are turning against Paul. They're giving out the gospel, but they're doing it to make Paul look bad. And he writes about it, and he says, they're doing it out of envy and spite. He says, but I don't care, as long as the gospel gets out. We talked about that about three weeks ago. And so he's writing from a situation that some of you would say, hey, that's a really tough case. And it is. His circumstances are horrible. It's chaotic. There's confusion. He's uncertain about the future. And yet, his letter just... It just has sweet aroma of praise and contentment. And here he is, you know, rejoicing. In in fact, in in Ephesians, the first letter that he writes, he starts off with that idea, blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And he's thinking that. While he's in prison, while he's going through all these accusations, he writes to the Colossians, we give thanks to God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. That same sense of rejoicing shows up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, though they forgot him. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. In fact, if you go with me to several passages in the book of Philippians and flip back to chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, you get a sense of his rejoicing. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I'm in a strait, but it is far better to depart to be with Christ. In chapter 2, verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and rejoice with you all. And he goes, goes on and says, for the same cause, you should rejoice. Chapter 3, verse 1. He starts off with this and he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And he goes on, he says, I know how to have abundance. I know how to be poor, but I'm praising God. Now, some of you might respond this way and you say, wait a minute, that's just the way Paul's makeup was. That's his personality. That's his, his DNA. He was just one of these upbeat people. That's not true. That is not true. Paul learned to rejoice. He talks about it in Philippians 4, where he makes the comment down in what we were just reading, where he makes that comment in verse in, in um, verse 11, for that, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
it's interesting if you dissect that, the word learned has the idea to go through all the classes offered. You know how some of you working on or have worked for college degrees or you're looking forward to it, to graduation from high school? You have to complete all a certain number of courses. That's the idea. Paul went through a set number of courses to learn contentment. In fact, in the next verse, he makes the comment where he says as well, he says, I have been instructed both to be full and to abound. He says, I have become content, something I wasn't before, and I my instruction both to be content, to be happy, whether it be I have a lot or I have little. That word for instruction has, instruction has the idea of being initiated into a secret society or to a new level of awareness. And so Paul says, this isn't something that's natural to me. This is something that I have learned. This is something that I have gone through. And I've come to a point where I have learned to be a rejoicing individual, a contented individual, which leads me to these thoughts. Contentment isn't automatic just because you're a born-again believer. Some of you have proved that at moments. Some of us have become miserable, though we're saved. It's not something that is just automatic. In fact, it doesn't happen immediately in our Christian life that we get to the point where no matter what the difficulties, what the trials, we're rejoicing. It usually takes a period of growth, of learning, of being instructed, being initiated into that idea. But it is possible for any believer who follows the Lord, to be able to have the right attitude, to have a thanksgiving spirit all the time, anytime, in all circumstances. It starts by, in that learning, growing process, by thinking the right thoughts. That's what he mentions in chapter 4, verse 8. He talks about what are we supposed to dwell upon? How are we supposed to think? He says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure. He says, whatsoever things are lovely, of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. By how we think, that's going to become what our attitude is. And so what we need to dwell upon this morning is what should we be thinking about? If we're going to get a grip on contentment and joy in any circumstance, no matter what the difficulty that we're facing or what the chaos in the community or crises in our own life or challenges we may have from others or from life itself, we have to have the right thoughts. We have to fix our mind. What was it that Paul was thinking about? What did he look at? What did he think about? What did he rehearse in his own mind? I think he remembers, as we see in this whole chapter, the gifts that God gave him. He mentions several of them. And as he dwells upon them, that helps him to rejoice. That helps him to learn to be content. What were those gifts? What did he possess? What does he refer to in this book that encouraged his heart? Well, number one was his position in Christ is how he stood before Jesus Christ. In fact, you go back to chapter 1, in verse 1, where he talks and he's writing to these people, and he makes this comment, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God 
our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes another comment in chapter 4, where in verse 1 he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. What he has revealed to us is some real tremendous truth. That when you and I come to know Christ as our personal Savior, when we repent of our sins, when we recognize we have violated God's law in many ways, and we have, we have lied, we have thought wrong, we have criticized, we've been jealous, we've been greedy, we've had, we've had sinful thoughts, disobedient to parents, you name it, it's there in our lives. When we recognize that that sin is going to keep us out of heaven, for the wages of sin is death or separation, But the only way into heaven is the gift of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. When we realize that, we repent of our sin and ask Christ to forgive us. We are then declared to be saints. We are forgiven of our sins. We are holy before God. We are covered by the blood of Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees Christ's forgiveness over, over, over uh, our whole frame. And he says, because of that, Christ has shared that righteousness. We are able to enter into heaven. We've changed positions. We've been given uh, the, the freedom of coming away from sin and damnation. And we have the promise of being in heaven because we're saints. We're in Christ Jesus. He talks about that being one that binds us together, that gives us a new family, a family of God, where all of a sudden we're in the Lord. And he says, stand fast, believers. Philippians, even though you're going through persecution, you're going through troubles, he says, if you're in Christ, you are so blessed. You've got that future home in heaven. Hey, listen, What he's getting down to is salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, not a church, not baptism, not your good citizenship, not your money, not your good looks or your jobs or how do you do well you do in school or whatever. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And any and every one of us who comes to him, we can become something that we're not. We can become from one individuals who are damned to one who becomes adopted into God's family and given eternal life. And all of a sudden, we get this royal priesthood. We get this joy of being close to the Lord. It can happen to anyone in this room. It's available to all types of people. In the book of Acts, where he talks about first going to Philippians, he shared that message with a religious woman, Lydia, who was relying upon her Jewish works and her deeds, and she all of a sudden comes to a point where she relies upon Christ. It can even come to an individual who is a jailer, the one who is gruff and keeping Paul in prison in Acts 16, involved with whatever his punishment was. And all of a sudden that man, when the earthquake takes place after listening to the hymns that are being sung, he says, good sirs, what must I do to be saved? It can come to even one who is a demoniac, a girl who was bound by Satanism and cultism. This salvation in Christ, this opportunity to have God's gift of eternal life, it is for any and all. And once he gives that to you, that special grace, ah, you're blessed. You're all of a sudden part of God's family. He says that you and I, we enjoy eternal life forever and ever. No matter what happens in this world, it's only going to get better. In a hundred years from now, we won't care about that car breaking down. In a thousand years from now, we're not going to be all worried about the weather and the rain. You know, in a million years from now, The Vikings losing over and over again isn't going to bother me anymore. 
there's going to be that hope that we have, that joy just to sit back today and to say, I'm God's child, not because of me, but because of Christ. What an opportunity, what a privilege to be able to say, I'm on my way to heaven because of the work of Christ. That ought to joy every single one of our hearts. But then he talks about something else. He talks about the very peace of God. You know this verse. Many of you have memorized it, where he talks about it and it says, the peace of God, verse 7, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, we understand what he's talking about. A God-given inner contentment, a inner peace to handle any and all situations that when you're in prison... That when you don't know what the next day holds, there's a comfort, there's a peace, there's an assurance, there is still a, c- a control, there's not a frazzle, there's not, a, there's not an upsetness that caused frustration and to quit, but there's a strength that comes. A peace that he says passes all understanding, people can't explain it. People can't explain how some of you have faced some really difficult times. Some of you had this with coworkers or with people who, during COVID at its height, there's people who were panicked, who had no peace of their heart. They were fearful. But you had the peace of God that passes all understanding. That you said God is in control. Some of you have panicked over at times over things like elections. And yes, we're concerned about it. But our God is in control. How do we maintain a peace if you hear the big, the big C, cancer? How do you have strength to move on when some of you have faced the, the greatest terror, the king of terrors, death of a loved one? What kept you going? It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. An inner strength that has helped that God gives through his spirit. That he talks about that he keeps your minds and your hearts. The idea of keeping it is he guards it. He keeps you so that you don't get into great depression, that you don't get into those, those feelings of just absolute hopelessness. But the Spirit of God works. And God gives you a calm. He gives you a peace. He gives you a stability in any crises. doesn't mean you're not concerned, but it just means you're stable. You know, I was reading a story about a woman who was a hypochondriac. And so one day she did research about some disease liver disease. And she, after she did her research, she immediately contacted her doctor and she said, doctor, I need to come and see you right away. And when she got to see the doctor, he's saying, what's your problem this time? She says, I believe I have liver disease, a fatal liver disease. And he responded, he said, ma'am, I don't know why you would think that. When people engage into liver disease initially, there's no symptoms, there's no pain. It's usually not found out that way. And she went into absolute panic. She says, I have those very symptoms. Some people live that way. Always on the edge. You don't have to be that way. You can have that contentment that Paul talks about by focusing on the gifts of God, the gift of God's providential care for you. In this passage, in this story, Paul is talking about this idea of providence. He doesn't use the word. The word providence means to see beforehand, providio. And he's referring to it by what he talks about happened to him. Paul had lots of personal needs, physical needs. He would sometimes supplement them by doing tent-making ministry on his own. Other times he was totally reliant upon churches, believers, and going in and ministering. Well, he talks about in some of the other passages how he was in wantings. He was in desperate moments. He talks about how there was times when I suffered. 
referring to that in the passage that we read, where he says, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer, suffer needs. And so he talks about that idea, and then he goes a little bit further in verse 14. He says, you did well, and you communicated to me in my afflictions, even when I was in desperate straits, when I was without food, when I was absolutely hungry. And he says, nobody communicated with me. There was a time when I was in desperate straits, and not a gift came. Not a thank you from any to whom I've ministered to. And he said, but at the same time, you knew about it. And you as a church acted. He said, you were the only church that acted. You and Philippi. You were the only individuals that, not just once, but you did it more than once. That you helped and you met my necessities. How did that happen? How did, how did they know? How, how did they... Paul never wrote them a letter saying, I don't have anything in the shelf. Paul never wrote them and said, I've got a problem, my my donkey's broken down, I can't travel. Paul never wrote them and said, I'm too sick at this moment, I can't work this week. And yet they responded. Paul makes it very clear that he believes this was God behind the scenes. Where he makes the comment in verse 19 and following, where he says, My God shall supply all your need to his riches and to glory, now unto God be glory forever. He is saying it's God who knows our needs. God who works in providential ways. God who maneuvers and manipulates. And I'm going to give God the glory because God worked in your hearts that you met my need when I didn't share it with you. The providential care of God. And Paul says, I know that because of that, I have learned to be content. That my God knows all my needs. God is aware and God will prepare things ahead of time to meet my needs. There was a lady that I was reading. She's writing in her story, Laura Cox of Texas, is writing about a real life experience in her life. She grew up in Texas and she just got a message that her father, T.J. Cox, had just died after an illness. So she's trying to get her family ready to go and take care of dad's things and the funeral and everything. And it's late in the afternoon and her wash machine, she's got to get laundry done. You know how that is before a trip. And she's got to get everything done and packed up so they can go on this trip that they, that's kind of unexpected. So she called several repairmen. Nobody, nobody, nobody's going to come because it's too late in the day. It's already three o'clock. So they're not going to come. She got a hold of one older man. And she explained, she says, I have family of you know, death. I need to get out of town. I need to get the laundry yet this afternoon, this evening. And he says, I'll be right over. The man comes over and he fixes her machine. Very pleasant gentleman, an older guy. And when he's all done, he hands her the bill. And there's no extra charge for him coming in late that day. There's no extra charge or fee. And she's kind of surprised. And she just looks and she says, I don't know why. Everybody else said no. Why did you say yes? And on top of that, you're not charging me any extra. He said, well, it just so happened when you called, my wife and I were talking. And we were remembering the day when we were first married and we had nothing. We didn't even have a job. And we were moving into this, into this one area of Texas. And we, we were down to our last coins. And I saw a man working on some fences. And I pulled up and asked if he needed help. Found out he was hired by somebody else. And he said, sure. You help me and I'll, I'll give you something. He said, so this man employed me for several days. 
moved, grew into several weeks. And he gave me work, and he helped us to get over this tough time. And he's talking, and he says, man, I wish there was some way that I could say thank you to that guy. I don't know what happened to him, but T.J. Cox was a really good guy to me. All of a sudden, Laura just said, who did you say? T.J. Cox. She couldn't believe it. T.J. Cox, as I said earlier, was her dad. She turned to this old man and says, you just were able to say thank you through a God working in a moment that you were remembering that and I called you. There was another believer that wrote about the time that she says that her father got very, very sick. She remembers that as a little girl. They were in Tennessee. And they were out in the, out in the distance from town. Dad had tonsillectomy. Tonsils were removed. Doctors said be very, very careful. But it was a hot day. And so they went home with Dad, and the doctor had said, be very, very careful. If there's any problems, make sure you get them back here as soon as possible. They went with their, their old vehicle, got out of town by you know, several dozen miles, and then Dad started getting a fever. And after a little bit, Dad started bleeding and some hemorrhaging. They called the doctor after they get through on the party line. And when they called, the doctor said, listen, you've got to get some ice immediately. Get this under ice and then bring him to town. Well, mom went and there's no ice. They didn't have any ice. There was none in the freezer. There was none in the house. And she prays, says, God, we need to do something. I'm not sure. This is a very critical situation. And all of a sudden, it was overcast outside. And it got windy. And mom started hearing this clanging on the windows. She yelled to the kids, get some buckets, God's sending us some ice. Ran outside, got it, put it on his neck, got him to the doctor, and things were okay. Can God work in providential ways? Can God move in situations? I've told you before, one of the most outstanding providential things was when my daughter and husband, where her husband were in China for those few years, working in underground churches. She was teaching in a school, and one of the students in the school, one of the young kids, had an accident that was going to prove to be fatal, but at that point, the boy was still alive. The family needed to transfer him to Hong Kong. So they transferred to Hong Kong. His older sister was not wanting to go with him immediately to Hong Kong because they didn't know how long, if what surgeries. And they had a, a, a weekend retreat planned for all the high school kids where my daughter was teaching. And so they contacted my daughter and they said, you know, they worked it out that after the retreat, my daughter would be able to accompany her, this girl, to Hong Kong because three months before, my daughter and son-in-law had bought tickets on this express train to get down to Hong Kong to pick us up when we come for a visit. And that was three months earlier they bought the tickets. Well, now the, there's just a couple days before they're going on their retreat and we're going to be coming in a few days at the end of the retreat. All of a sudden, they found out my daughter's headed to Hong Kong. Can you accompany our teenage daughter after the retreat to Hong Kong? Sure, glad to do it. But we need to see if we can get a ticket on this super train. And it's at the Chinese New Year time, which means everything is shut down, everybody's traveling. The chances of getting a ticket on this train were absolutely going to be astronomically impossible. But they went down to the train station. And when they, the translator went in, the translator came out and said, on this train that seats hundreds, and they even sell standing room. Out of this train that would seat hundreds and this train that had standing room for several hundreds more, they had one ticket left. One ticket. 
And my daughter said, well, praise God, we have a ticket. Now we just have to work out how can I be with her on the train. And she says, let's see what car it is. It happened to be on the very same car my daughter was. And when they compared the ticket numbers, it was the seat right next to my daughter. How did that happen three months apart? God. God. Can you think of moments where God has providentially worked in your life? Put you at a certain spot, at a certain moment to meet a need? All of a sudden, like we saw yesterday with one of our families, relatives were visiting right at the moment when all of a sudden there's a death in the family. And they needed extra help during those last hours. God working in those marvelous ways, that ought to thrill your heart, that God cares for you that much that he has providentially put those circumstances together for your benefit. But Paul doesn't stop there. He talks about the people of God, the people of God that are a blessing to his heart, that he is rejoicing for and over. He talks about these individuals where in chapter 1, he writes to these very people, the Philippians, and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He said, you have been such a refreshment to my heart. Benny says, I long with you. I long for you. I really care for you. There's a camaraderie I, I have with the bowels of Christ, with the emotional seat of Christ. I love you with the love of Christ. He responds to them and he says, you know, dearly beloved, you are my joy, my crown. You are a blessing and my hope of eternal reward. He says, your care of me. When nobody else, everybody forgot me, you helped me. Your care flourished. The word is the seed coming up in the springtime that all of a sudden blossoms into a beautiful flower. He says, that's what your love for me has been, Philippians. You have blossomed to, uh, to just show time and time again. He says, you continue to be concerned for me, even though you didn't have opportunity at moments or you didn't know exactly what to do, you helped me out time and time and time again. They helped up on... I want you to understand that according to verse 18, they did this not just because they loved Paul, they did it because they loved God. And out of their love for God, their service for God, they extended themselves. They not only felt, but they did something to help Paul out. They gave him assistance. They gave him help. And Paul responds. He says, I have great joy because of your fellowship. I have great joy to those people because of your ministry and how you've grown and how you've, how you've helped other individuals out. And he says, this, this thrills my heart. This relationship we have. If I were to write a letter or take an epistle that I could share with you, my feelings, it would be this text. It would be what you folk have meant to our family in the 40 years that we've been here. How you have been so kind to Deb and I. How you have been so gracious week after week to come and listen, not just to the Word of God, but to somebody to f stumble through it so often. Your kindness, your grace, your putting up with us, your help that you gave many of you, in our raising of our kids. Some of you, the teaching, the lessons. Some of you, letting our kids have some really good friends. Some of you, putting up with our kids when they were in your Sunday school classes, and they didn't always listen. 
You know, and you expected more from the preacher's kids. Some of you, the encouragement you gave by notes and cards to the point that when Jesus Christ talks about how at times you leave family, and we left Minnesota decades ago, came here, and have lived here for all these years, and, and on top of that, we were like, okay, family's far away, but God has given us a family that has just superseded even the physical family that we've left in Minnesota. And Paul says that thrills his heart. Thanksgiving for us, contentment for us, is you guys. The blessing you have been to our hearts, what you have done for us, how you have shown that to the missionaries time and time and time again. You can't, you can't, I, I, I can't express to you how often the missionaries hear from those of you who do the adopt a missionary and they get those notes, how they respond time again says, that is such an encouragement. It is such a help. The people of God who just build us up. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've gone through battles. You've gone through struggles. And others within this flock have helped you out. And nobody knows. Nobody knows about some of the things that you have done for others and others have done for you. And it causes us to just come to a point that says, praise God, how blessed we are to have family like you. How, how, how God has given such wonderful gifts as fellow Christians. What a joy. But Paul doesn't stop there. He stops and he's talking now about, you know, the position I have, the peace of God that I have while I'm in prison, how God has cared for my needs even though I'm in jail and nobody knows about it, and God is still taking care of me. And then he's given me some friends that even though we're far distance apart, oh, he says, my heart is so, so, so filled with praises and blessings. But then he talks about the power of God. The power of God that is in this text. You all know the passage. I can do all things through who does what? Strengthens me. Do you understand the context of what this verse is? Paul is talking about, I've learned to become content. I have learned at times to to deal with things that are very hard. Hunger, affliction, persecution. And he says, but I've learned to become content where he says that I have learned to abound and to be abased. The word abased has the idea of not just being without, but being willing to let others help you. That, that, Paul said, that wasn't me. That wasn't where I was at. But he says, through my life and through the courses, God has taught me contentment and peace. God has taught me to be rejoicing, even when I've got no food. Even when the thorn in the flesh has got me laid out cold. Even when I have some, some enemies persecuting me. He says, God has worked in my heart to change my attitude. To give me the right type of attitude. And he says, to learn this. To come to this point. It's not me. It's not me to, to go through frustrations without concern. It's not me not to get upset. But he says, I have learned it through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, what he's saying, I have grown in a spot in my life to have rejoicing, to have contentment, to overcome my own fears, my own problems, my own struggles because of Christ. 
the power of God that strengthens me, that helps me to grow over and in areas that I normally wouldn't. That's the power of God. Not to change the outside only, but more importantly, to change the inside. To make us to become more like the Lord. What is it with you? What is it with you in your inner struggles, with your battles, that you say, listen, it is the power of Christ that is helping me. Is it, is it rejoicing in bad times? Is it the ability, that you, the strength to stop worrying? Is it now that, that you're able to grow to a point where you can handle people conflicts and do it biblically without a bitterness and an anger, but you do it in grace and love and forgive others? Paul says, I have learned to be able to, at times, have to go and talk to a friend, even though it's very hard, but I needed to do it. I have learned through the power of Christ to be able to think the right thoughts. I am learning how to be able to give, how to pray better through the power of Christ. He says, I am learning through the power of Christ to be able to be discerning, to understand what is good doctrine, bad doctrine. I am being able, through the power of Christ, coming to a point where I was able to let Epaphroditus go in death. God spared him, but I had to come to a point where I was able to let him go. He says, through the power of Christ, I am standing fast. I am not resisting. I am not caving in, even though I'm sitting in jail because of my faith. It's the power of Christ that helps you to remain faithful when the co-workers give you a hard time, when the neighbors criticize and you say, I need to remain loyal to Christ. It's through the power of Christ. And Paul is rejoicing. I am so thankful that the power of Christ is available at all times, continuously. He continues to strengthen me is the idea in the original language. You know, not everybody is like that. Not everybody is able to handle those difficulties in a very simple way. Some of you are very familiar with an author, Warren Wearsby, who wrote in several basic commentaries, Be Whatever series. And he writes about fog had moved into the O'Hare airfield, the airport that serves Chicago, and my departure had been delayed. I was sitting in a terminal reading a book and quietly asking God to work out his plans for this trip. Near me was a gentleman waiting for the same plane, but he was pacing up and down like a caged lion, and the language he was using to describe the fog was making the atmosphere more tense. I thought to myself, here's a man without any inner resources. Later, he asked me how I could be so calm when planes are all late. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with that man. While flying back back to Chicago from my upper New York uh, trip, we had to stay in a holding pattern over Kennedy Airport for more than an hour. When the stewardess announced that we'd be landing an hour late, the man across the aisle yelled, Break out the booze! This was his resource when things were going against him. All of nature depends on hidden resources. The great trees send their roots down into the earth to drop water and minerals. Rivers have their sources in snow-capped mountains. The most important part of the tree is the part you don't even see, he says. But, he says, the most important part of a Christian's life is the part that only God sees. Unless we draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, we fail against the pressures of life. Paul depended upon the power of Christ at work in his life. I can through Christ was his motto. As the Living Bible put it, I am ready for anything through the strength that the one who lives within me provides. Another one, the Phillips translation says, I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me strength. 
no matter what translation you prefer, they all say the same thing. The Christian has all the power within that he needs to be adequate for the demands of life. We need only release the power by our faith and trusting in Christ. My friend, God's power is available to you. That ought to throw your heart. But there's something else mentioned in this text. It's the provisions of God. You already know this passage. You already know the text where he's writing to the Philippians and he says, right after he talks about I can do all things, he makes this promise in verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When you look at God's promise, it's clear. It is, sh- it is sure God's going to meet your need. Shall supply. It is going to be on an ongoing basis. That God will keep on doing this, not just last week, not just right now, but even if we go into more economic chaos, if we go into a deeper recession, God will still meet your needs. God is not, all of a sudden, His bank is running out of funds and resources. Our God promises that He will meet all of our needs for all of us at all times. Through Christ, He says, I'll provide for you. And that should take away those worries. But now let me caution. It is not our wants, it is our needs. And he's talking to believers who have learned to be charitable. Not greedy believers, but charitable believers. So there is a limitation here. And yet he is saying, God's going to take care. Hey, why worry? I put up earlier, people worry 40% over things that have not yet happened. What are we going to worry about? The economy, gas prices. You know, and I, we, we want to be reasonably concerned, but why worry about God's going to take care of us? Why worry about the retirement? God's going to take care of us. Why worry about where we're going to get enough to pay our mortgages and stuff? We do our part, but God promises to take care of us. And God does it in such amazing ways. God does it in such marvelous ways. I was reading some stories that were talking about God's provisions. And one of them was a story that was put out by a former teacher who is now with the Lord, Howard Hendricks, used to teach in Dallas Seminary. And he writes about one of the seminary students that came. used to be a businessman, but a second career, he comes to seminary. He sold his business, and so he's paying for school, trying to take care of his four kids, his wife, and pay for the school and provide, and things got pretty tough. They, they pretty much got downright, they're just eking an existence. And the student told him, he says, one day we were together and, and my youngest son said, Timothy was getting the hand-me-downs from his four older brothers, always getting hand-me-downs. And so he said when we were getting together for family and praying one night, he said, Mom, Dad, can I pray for a new shirt? I'm tired of getting hand-me-downs. Can I pray that God would give me a new shirt? They weren't sure how to respond to this. And he said, okay, let's write it in our family prayer book. And he said, make sure you tell them it's size 7. Okay? And so they wrote down, new shirt for Timmy, size 7. And they started praying about it. And every night, Timmy would ask, let's pray for the shirt. Have we forgotten to pray for the shirt? About a week later, mom gets a call from a friend of hers whose husband owned a clothing store. And they were at the end of the season. They were clearing out. And... That her friend had mentioned her husband, well, my friend has four boys, maybe they could use some of the shirts you're just going to get rid of rather than donate away to you know, whoever. And so the husband was calling and says, I have a bunch of shirts here, I'm clearing stock, didn't know if you could use any. And mom said, sure. She said, what size are they? They're all size seven. <laughs> so they got the shirts, and that night they're holding their family prayer time. 
and Tim, they're praying, and, and Timmy says, don't forget to pray for the shirt. And mom and dad, in their wisdom, they weren't going to let this moment go past. They were going to teach their child about prayer. And they said, well, we don't need to pray for the shirt anymore. And he said, why not? He says, well, God's already answered. And on cue, the oldest brother went out into the other room, brought a shirt in, still packaged. And the little boy, Timmy's eyes got wide. Wow! And they said, that's not all. So they went back, got another shirt, brought in another shirt. Wow, wow! Went and got another shirt and brought it. So by the time they got to all 12 shirts, the little boy says, God's in the shirt business! (laughs) God provides. True story that I wanted to share with you by a Rose Vare, Helen Rose Vare, who was a missionary worker in Africa a number of years ago. She was a nurse. She worked in the clinic. She also helped in the orphanage, and she taught classes. She talks about how one night there was a woman, an African woman, who came in and gave birth. She didn't survive. And so the baby's there, and the baby is not, body temperature is not doing well. And as well, on top of it, there's a two-year-old little girl in this family who's just lost the mother. And as a nurse, she told her co-worker, she says, go and get one of the hot water bottles and bring it here so we can put it by the baby to keep the baby warm. And she came back, she says, it's, it's no good. As I was filling it, it burst. Because in the heat, the rubber just became, you know, so it wasn't as elastic and it burst. So she said, well, let's lay the baby by the fire, keep it as close as possible without, without hurting. And that evening, when they got together with the orphanage kids, they were praying. And they were asking the orphanage kids any prayer requests. And she decided that she would share with them about the baby and the need. And we need to pray that the baby would survive. And one of the little girls raised her hand and says, Well, we should pray for a new water bottle. That's a good idea. And we should pray for a little doll. Why a little doll? So the two-year-old has a little doll. So let's pray. And that little girl started off praying. And she said, Dear Jesus, we're praying that you give us a water bottle tomorrow and a dolly along with it. Both of them need to come tomorrow. How do you say amen to that kid's prayer? How do, you, how do you support that prayer? So this woman, this nurse, she said, uh, as often the children's prayer, with children's prayer, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God did, could do this. Oh yes, I know he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? I mean, This was a big but with prayers. The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa now four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a package from home. Anyway, if anyone did send me a parcel, who would have put a water bottle in it? I lived on the equator. Why would they send me a hot water bottle? Halfway through the afternoon the next day, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent to me that there's a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car was gone. But there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel box. I felt tears welling up in my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for all the orphanage kids. Together, we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot, and then opening up the box. All 40 pairs of eyes were focused on that large box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys, eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there was the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients and the children. They, at that moment, looked very bored. Then came out a box of raisins and other goodies that made a nice, would make a nice batch of food. And then as I put my ba- hand in again, I felt it. Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. 
a brand new rubber hot, uh, hot water bottle. I started to cry. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. The little girl in the front row of the children, she jumped up, the one who had prayed, and she said, if God sent the water bottle, he must have sent the doll too. She rummaged to the bottom of the box, and there, there it was. She pulled out the small, beautifully dressed doll, and she was so excited. Looking up at me, she said, Can I go over now and show the little girl this doll? She'll know that Jesus really loves us now. That parcel had been on the way for five whole months. Packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had put a doll in for an African child five months before the ans- in answer to a prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it this afternoon. Can God take care of us? Oh, my friend, God can take care of all of our needs. We have no reason to be frustrated. We have all kinds of reason to just be rejoicing, to be praising God, to be able to sing and to say, It's gone well with our souls, that all is well. I want to close with that song. And as we're singing, if you're here this morning and you are here and worshiping with us, but you don't know, you don't know for sure Jesus Christ is your Savior, that gift of eternal life, I'm going to invite you while we sing, go over there by that door, meet some of our staff. They'll show you from the Bible how you can be sure of your salvation. But child of God... If it's well with your soul, sing with me to the praise of God.